And John chapter 20, or John chapter 17 and verse number 20. Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So, Jesus in this high priestly prayer starts out praying for himself that he would glorify the Father and the Father would glorify him. And then he goes on, starting verse number 6, to pray for the apostles. Because the apostles had a great work. You know, they had the 11 of them there and the Lord had a great work for them to do and they did a great work. And so he prays for them, his friends who had been with him these uh, three years and, and followed him and, and walked with him. He prays for them and their strength and, and the work that he has them to do. And we, we get a lot from what Jesus said to them because some of that, what he prays for them, also applies to us as well. Um, just the promises were not restricted just to them but also um, to us as well. But verse 20 in particular, um, Jesus doesn't. Jesus prays for you and I. He prays for us. There, Jesus, praying unto the Father, prays for you and I. We who trust in him even now. Because he says, I don't pray for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me. All those who would come. Um, and that, that is a blessed thought to me to think about Jesus was praying for me. All the, the people that would come, he prays for. Um, the, the people that he would die for, he's praying for. Um, he's praying for uh, the, the churches that would come and, and the people that would come and all the, the saints. And, and so... When you come to this, you can, you could uh, insert your name there. Neither I pray I for these alone, but for me, who shall believe, who believes on Christ through the word of the apostles, right? So, so these things that he's praying, he's praying, Jesus, the Son of God is praying that these things would come to pass uh, for us. It's an intercessory prayer for us. And um, one thing that we can notice here is that Jesus did not pray for the believers of the past. You know, if it were ever appropriate for prayers to be made for those who have died, Jesus would have done it here. If it was ever appropriate for God to strengthen the saints of times past, generations, then Christ, as he prays for his people, would have done it here. The Eastern Orthodox, the Roman Catholic, um, and some other mystical uh, groups pray for the dead. They pray that the dead would be strengthened. They pray that the dead would be saved. They pray that the dead, uh, sometimes they pray that the dead would, would help them. And, they, and, and if it was ever appropriate for us to pray for those who have died. Then Jesus would have prayed here at this point for those people because he is praying for the needs of his people. 
He prays for the apostles as they are in the world and will be attacked by the world. Then he says, I, I pray for those who will come after them because they also will be in the world and they will believe the word that the apostles will be persecuted for. They will believe the word um, that, that testifies as me. Jesus spoke the words of the Father and the apostles will speak the words of Christ and then we will believe the words of the apostles and then we will speak those words. And so as they were hated, for, as Jesus was hated, the apostles were hated, and so too will we be hated uh, for our um, love for Christ. So he prays for us, he prays for our preservation, he prays for our sanctification, he prays for our unity, he even prays that for us to see his glory and to be glorified. But what he doesn't do is pray for Abraham or pray for Moses or pray for David. Because Abraham and Moses and David and all the saints that had gone on before were already safe in paradise. They, he, he was going to pay for those sins. that they, they went to paradise on the promise of the payment of Christ. Christ had redeemed them. Christ had, had saved them. And we don't have to pray for those who have gone on. Some even suggest that we pray for, to strengthen people of the past. So you would pray for David, that David would beat Goliath, or strength, God would strengthen him, that, that he, would, he would beat Goliath and some such things. You don't need to pray that I would arrive to church this morning safely. You don't need to pray that I would come out of knee surgery safely. Those things are in the past. They've already happened. What we can do, though, is follow Jesus' example and pray for those in the world. We can pray for this church, that the Lord would bless this church, and that the Lord would raise up future generations, that God's elect. Um, in this area, would come to saving faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that would serve him here in this church. And this church would, would um, continue to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in this community until the Lord returns. We can pray for that end. The, the Lord would raise up men to, to spread the gospel. The, the Lord would raise up preachers to, to, to preach and, and that this church would continue on and perpetuate. That's, that's appropriate for us to pray. But it would be rather pointless for us to pray for the, the founding uh, members or the, the charter members of this church that they would be faithful, right? Because it's already happened. Um, and that's the way that we are to look at our lives. That's the way we're to look at time and not to pay attention to, to mystics who would have us Consider time and look at things in, in an odd way. This passage brings me much comfort just when he says, I, but I pray for them also which shall. Yes, God is, is timeless in, in that he's eternal, but God deals with people in time. We can pray to an eternal God and to the eternal one who deals with us in time. We know that believers have gone on to be with the Lord in the Old Testament times. We're in safe in paradise, and the Lord didn't need to intercede with him. Jesus spoke of persecuted prophets on the Sermon on the Mount. 
but he didn't pray for them, did he? He spoke of them and their work, but he didn't pray for them. But he did pray for the disciples who were about to suffer persecution. God created the sun and the moon for us to calculate the process of time. It says in Genesis 1.14 that one purpose for that is we can look up and we can count time. And we can count days. You're only three or four words into the first verse of the Bible. It says in the beginning. So three words in there. In the beginning. So there's a starting point. And then you have the first day. And then the second day. And the third day. And there's a progression. Um, some of uh, some other religions would say time is sort of like a circle or it's folded up on top of each, uh, itself. That's not how the Lord would have us to think about time. The Lord wouldn't have us to, to look backwards and think that uh, there are ways that we can affect the past. David served his generation, it says in Acts 13.36. 1 Peter 1 12 says that the prophets served future generations. So the prophets, when they wrote, didn't understand what they were saying. Or, let me rephrase that. When they wrote, they didn't fully comprehend the depths to the, the words that they were writing. So they knew that there, were, there was more there than they could perceive. They knew that there was a deepness to these prophetic writings that they were not able to fully see. Because it spoke of, of Christ. And they, they could read. So Jeremiah could look at prophets from the past. And they could read Moses. And they could say, well, I can see um, my prophecy and how it ties together with Moses' prophecy. And, and they would dig into those things. But they also knew that the Christ would come. And when the Christ would come, what they wrote would be, would be uh, opened up to, to those who, who would follow after so they were sort of putting bricks on the foundation, we might think, or they were laying part of the railroad track. We might think about that way too, that that they would never they would not in their lifetime see the fulfillment of that that work. But progressively as it goes, they were adding to that. And so they were serving future generations. But nowhere in scripture do we find current generations serving, helping. Or praying for the people of the past. Even if in God's dealings with men we read of life and death and judgment. In Hebrews chapter number 9. Verse And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We are born into this world, we live our life, and then we die. The Lord would not have us to, to think about time in a sense that we can go back and change the past. Or we can do something now that will impact something that's already happened. Or that somehow our prayers now can intercede for those who have already um, 
entered into their rest. But there is, there is a finality. There is sort of a linear motion, a progression of time. And we can't go back and change those things. We can't go back and, and restart. I think this morning, you know, sometimes I like to just hit pause on life. Sometimes I, I wish I could just pause and just say, all right, I've got, I've got, I've got something on my mind. I've got to figure this out. And I, I don't want to go anymore until I figure this out. Sunday always, always comes. That's another thing. You know, Sunday's always seven days apart, right? So there's always, always preaching to be done. And sometimes I thought, I think, I just, I would like to spend another month or two um, studying something or, uh, or, or digging into some truth. I, I'd like to just hit pause and be able to, to spend more time in that. But that's not the way time works, is it? We've got a a limited amount of days, a limited amount of seconds in which we are to live. That's the way that the Bible tells us. That's the way we ought to think about time. And not think about it in a sense that that we can impact and go back and change things. Ecclesiastes 9, starting in verse number 5. Now this is just talking about from the perspective of this life. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So it's not talking about their soul, it's just talking about um, the life that they have lived. And then verse number 10, Whatsoever thy hand findest to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work in her vice, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Well, let me just read the, the verses 7 to 10. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with thy wife, whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, and thy vanity, which he... He has given thee under the sun for all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So it's talking about life under the sun, life here on this earth. It's not talking about the afterlife. It's not talking about what happens when you die, where your soul goes. He's talking about life in this in this world. And so. We have a limited amount of days. And once that expires, we can't go back and change things, right? We can't go back, and we can't go back and pray that things would be different. I wish I'd done a lot of things different in my life. I wish I'd done a lot of things different in raising my kids. But it would be a colossal waste of time for me to start praying that I would do something different back in 2000, right? The point of this is God has given us a life and then we ought to live it. To live it with all of our might. To live it 
with, uh, live it with joy, to live it um, in the service of God. Because that's how this book ends up. So Jesus didn't pray for Solomon that he wouldn't fall into temptation. He didn't pray for uh, Solomon that, that he wouldn't have to have a hard life so he wouldn't have to come to all these questions in the book of Ecclesiastes. That had already come and gone. We read of the saints going to their fathers and being gathered to our people. That's how uh, the Bible describes this life. And so, first of all, when we think about this, for those we think about the time as it progresses, think that, that the Lord has given you a certain amount of days. You ought to live those for his glory. Redeem the time. I don't know how many days I have left. You don't know how many days that you have left. Live those, redeeming the time, glorifying the Lord, serving God. Live joyfully with, with your family all the days of your life. Consider the life that you have been given, the, the family that you've been given, and, and, and rejoice in what God has blessed, given you in the days under the sun. And with everything that you have, use your life to glorify Christ. To, to number your days. To consider all the things that aggravate us and all the things that upset us. How much of it, it just really doesn't matter? You know, how much of it just doesn't amount to a hill of beans when it, when it comes to even our own life? I read stuff on the news and I get aggravated and upset about it. But if I just stop and think about it, first of all, there's nothing I can do about it. Even knowing this stuff, there's nothing I can do about it. There's no way I can change it. I don't have any power to, to, to change it, but for some reason, you just get pulled into it and you read it and you get aggravated and it might ruin your day. Thinking about something that there's nothing that is totally out of your control. We have a certain amount of, of days. And we ought to live those for the, for the glory of God. To be um, rejoicing in this life and the goodness of the Lord. And then, in Christ... We go on uh, to be with the Lord. In Acts 13, um, 36, the, sort of the euphemism that the scriptures use um, for, for death is to go to the fathers in um, Acts 13, 36. Get there here.
For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid into his fathers and saw corruption. So, the, the picture that the scripture gives us is that those who die in Christ go on to be with the Lord. In the Old Testament, we talk about them going into their fathers. Genesis 15, 15 says that. And so, those who have gone on before in the Lord are there. And we go on to be not only um, with, um, with the Lord, but with all those who have preceded us. We're not annihilated. We're not in limbo. Not in purgatory. Not in some um, blackness and, and veil, but but we go on to be with the Lord. And we go on to be with those who have gone on before us. I like Pilgrim, the book Pilgrim's Progress. And, and uh, one of my favorite parts of that is there at the end where Christian is about to enter into the, the city. And Bunyan uh, portrays death as crossing the river. And crossing the river into the promised land, crossing the river into Zion. And the whole story, um, the pilgrim, Christian, he's got his ups and his downs. But he gets to that river's bank and he starts getting afraid. And he's worried about, well, maybe I wasn't holy enough or maybe I wasn't good enough and starts getting having doubts and fears. And he gets... And he, he thinks he's going to drown in that river, um, crossing over into the promised land, that, that land that was promised to him. But he, he is making his way into that celestial city where all the pilgrims before him had gone. And all the pilgrims before him had tread. And he was making his way home to, to the, the city of his God and his king, where um, those who had tread that path before him, awaited him. Well, his companion, um, I might have this backwards, um, maybe it was Christian that, that had it the other way, but, but one of them crossed the river and with such faith that he didn't have any problems. It's just about a foot deep for him because he went the way of faith and the way of strength. And so you know, some people have have lots of problems when they die, fearing and, and troubled. Uh, some people, um, the Lord seems to bless um, in a great way, but either way, they're, they're going and crossing that river by faith, and they go into the Father's. And why do I say that? Because they're, they, that's where they are at. Right Now, in eternity, now they've gone on into glory to be with the Lord, but the Lord tells us they are there now. They're not in some third place. They're not in some different place. They are there now. So there is no point in praying for something that happens in their life. And you might wonder why I belabor this point. Well, I've heard this from Baptist pulpits, I don't know how many times, a bunch of times. Fellowship meeting, I heard it, and um, preaching. And it's just something that's start going around because they say, well, God is eternal. God is outside of time. And since God is eternal, he can do whatever he pleases. And therefore, if you pray for somebody in the past, God will take your prayers 
and somehow send it backwards in time. And so we can pray for people in the past and that, that will help them because God, God is bigger than time. But nowhere in scriptures do you get any hint that that is the case. Nowhere in scripture does it even suggest that that is an option. Nowhere in scripture does it even uh, begin to teach us that we pray for those who are gone. The, the, what the scriptures teach us is that there is a beginning to our life. We come into this world, we live a certain period of time, and then we, after that, the judgment. And that time is fleeting. Time goes by fast. To redeem the time, don't waste time, and, and to, to look to the Lord. And if you don't know Christ, not to, to delay and say, tomorrow will be another day. I'll believe sometime. Even in the gospel ex- exhortations, um, that you don't have that. It is to believe today, believe now in the Lord Jesus Christ. I fear that some take the sovereignty of God and, and say, well, I'll just, I'll just look to the Lord and I'll wait on the Lord. Well, what's the Lord tell us? To believe, to repent, to turn, and to, to, to trust and to rest in the promises of Christ even, even this hour. The notion that that God will go back and change our past is, is, um, is foreign in Scripture. What the Bible does tell us, though, is the Lord uh, can p- cleanse us of our past. He can, he can purify us. He, he can give us His righteousness. He can, he can redeem the, the, the years that the, or restore the years that the locusts have, have taken. He can take what we deem to be a mistake or what we did in sinfulness and he can use that for his glory. But we are not to think of, of, of time in that regard. So Jesus, if there was ever a time, like I said, for one to pray for those things in the past, it would have been right here. We are to think in the terms that somehow we can pray in past timelines like some kind of bad science fiction movie, um, time travel movie. Paul ran a good race and finished his course and went to be with the Lord. I ran track in high school, and there's no point in me training for it right now. I mean, that'd be silly for me to go out and, uh, and start running. Somebody asked me what I'm doing while I'm training for a track meet. Oh, you run track? No, I did back in 1992, though, and um, I'm training for it. Well, they'd think that's crazy, wouldn't they? Well, is it any more ridiculous for us to pray that I would do well in 1990, or whatever year it was? Um, would there be any point for my track coach to pray for me tonight that I'd do well in the 400 meters? Well, that race has long been over. And so there's no more point for us to pray that Elimelech would be saved or the kings of, Ju- of Israel would be saved and, and those kind of things. We're not, we're not to waste our time in, in mystical um, musings that, that lead to really just uns- unfruitful and unscriptural thoughts. And the bad part about this is a lot of people will 
put up with this kind of teaching. And you say, well, that's just silly. What could come of it? Well, maybe nothing will come of it now. But what about the young person who hears that? And whenever they, they come of age, then they're going to uh, start preaching. They're going to take it one step further because that's how all this starts. One person hears some, something like this and then they take it and move it on to the next generation, then they'll take it a step further. It, it might be not this specific teaching that is bad, but it's the one that comes behind it and takes it to the next level. That's where you had people um, in the early centuries baptizing by immersion. Why? Because that's what the word baptism means. That's what had been practiced. Well, then you got a situation where somebody was on their deathbed. And from my understanding, uh, one of the first instances that you read about this is there was a son, this woman's son was on his deathbed, and she was afraid he was going to go to hell. So she wanted him to be baptized, but they couldn't get him out of bed. And so they go and, and ask the man, the, the, the preacher, you got to baptize him. Well, I can't baptize him because he, he's laying in bed and... and that's not what, and the mother just crying and, and pleading. And so he goes and he sprinkles um, the child because, you know, water, a little water on the head is the same as dipping under the, the water. And so you had two errors there. First of all, the baptism would actually save the child, which baptism doesn't save. And they said, well, since we can't get him out of bed, we'll just sprinkle some water on his head. And then one, you take one instance of somebody going off and you look where that, where, where that ended up. All kinds of false errors. So, so we, uh, we need to be very careful in how we um, handle these things because of the next, um, the next generation and where these things can lead. We just need to sit, stick to Scripture, stick to the Word of God, and, and cling to what God says about these things. And if we, if we hold to that, then, then we'll be safe. All right, well, we're going to stop there for, for Sunday school this morning. And um, ask um, Elijah, if you would, dismiss us in prayer, please. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us to come and worship you in the house, Lord. Help us today to be with us and help us for the rest of the day. We're confused and ask for me, Lord. Pray that we would be with everyone on the prayer list and give you a special hand of healing upon them, Lord. Pray that we would have attitude, family, and help them. Because then we're no longer one.